that whole thing podcast, exploring what it means to live in wholeness. I'm your host, Ben DeLong. Thanks for joining me today. Well, thank you everybody for for joining me on that whole thing podcast. I'm so glad that you're here and I'm so glad that my friend Nora Sophia is here with me too. Say hi, Nora. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much, Ben, for hosting me. I'm really excited to be here with you. I'm very glad to have you. Yeah, I'm very excited. Um, so Nora, is uh, she does a lot of different things to, to help people kind of discover who they are. She is a podcaster, a teacher, a writer, a YouTuber. Um, she is the co-founder of um, Shia Sophia Publishing House, which I'm very thankful for because that's where my next book is, is coming through. And and she's just all all around, just an amazing person that just wants to to help others. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about her story and, and what she does and some of the wisdom that she's learned through her journey. So Nora, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of how you got to, to be where you are now? Mm, well, I feel like I'm just living now, which is really <laughs> Um, and I think that that's the place for me that I really try to prod people into. I think that we can all live life in autopilot. Mm. Um, we can live life in a way where we don't even realize. It's almost like if you've ever driven to the store and you get there and you don't even remember the cars that you saw or the path yeah. that you took because it's so automatic. And For me, it's about my sort of whole life's mission is intersecting people to not only wake them up, but not allow them to go back to sleep. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. So, so what, um, what kind of led you to that, to that passion for that and, and to even just the capability of, you know, having the capacity to do that? Well, I lived my life um, largely asleep. (laughs) I think. And what happens for me anyway, in my story is I think we can get so afraid of living Mm. that it's almost like going into the woods and only coming out when we have to. And somehow by the grace of God, we make it through life, but that's what it feels like. We are just making it through. And I think that we all experience glimpses of this authentic self that has an opinion and it's okay, um, that isn't afraid of being seen and heard, um, that can speak from one of the most vulnerable places. And I think vulnerable has been hijacked as a word. I think that we tend to think of vulnerability and it's sort of like this, um, it's like it's weak, but it's strong. And, and I think that vulnerability is more about being willing to show up mm. and let people see who you are. There isn't a weakness in it. And there, it's not a strength like, ooh, I was able to say this. It's about learning to be. And, and there aren't that many people that have been able to share what I call sacred space with another person where they just get to be them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so what led me there is living life, feeling like I was living very many half lives, mm-hmm. living as a ghost, um, even living as a shadow. And I found myself always sort of cheering for other people and realizing one day that I really didn't cheer for me. I didn't really even know who I was and I didn't honestly love myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was a big, um, a big eye opener. And then I had to figure out what that felt like. And it was almost like creating a path back to yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. And removing yeah. all of the crap and all of the people that shouldn't be there because we already have it rough right? We already have it rough coming out of 
<laughs> the womb into the fallen world. But then we have people that have their own crap too. And then mm. they end up sort of like saying, well, I have too much. I'm going to share with you because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. they're so nice. And so <laughs> we end up carrying around all kinds of stuff that we have no business. And then we can't show up, right? We can't do that whole vulnerability thing. Yeah. So I made it my life's mission. Uh, I remember you and I talked a little bit recently just about um, that whole, um, that fear and that um, kind of desire just to, just to disappear sometimes that like, like you just get overwhelmed or you get afraid. And um, I was telling you, like, you know, when, when I'm in that space, like, you know, I just want to, I just want to go somewhere where nobody knows where I am and just be invisible and because it, it just um because when you're in that space like you don't you don't feel like you deserve anything else than that right right and i think that people will respond in two different ways which is interesting then i think that people will either go hide right so mm -hmm. i don't deserve to be seen or they'll show up bigger than life and they'll give mm -hmm. you the version of who they think you want to see yeah. So that, and in some ways they're still hiding. Right. Mm -hmm. And so my work is really about getting to that center of our soul where we rid ourselves of all the other stuff. The exercises that I do is walking people through really being able to listen to the sort of the master storytellers that we carry with us. Mm -hmm. And then taking back the pen so to speak and being able to retell and rewrite our own story yeah mm. so how did that when, when you were when you were in that space of just you know feeling invisible like a shadow um how did that manifest itself like in like how you lived your life like how it like did it did it come out in the way you felt in your body like just for you know because maybe people don't even can't even identify like this is what's going on. Sure. So it really, you won't. That's the scary thing is it's a very insidious um, impact on us. Mm -hmm. And unless we begin to really sort of do the work, which people don't like to do inner work, you know, because it's, it's holding up a mirror. It's having to really look through our experiences. Who have we allowed in our life? What have we allowed to take place? What are we offering people? because we're so desperately wanting to be loved. Yeah. What are we willing to give away? I mean, it's crazy. When you start unpacking your luggage, so to speak, and you start seeing these sort of messages that you've been reliving, mm -hmm. it's shocking. Yeah. You would not allow another person that you love to live like that. Yeah. So for me, I found myself in relationships where I was... I shouldn't, I would never have been. And, and part of it is that we haven't maybe experienced, um, let ourselves experience enough life to understand sort of the nuance of relationship. I don't think people know what true intimacy between people looks like, sort of this give and take. We have learned to be performers in life. Yeah. We've all sort of been given a script and from a young age been labeled and identified as a certain type of person and we live into it, right? Because we're affirmed yeah. and told that over and over and over. And maybe we never show up for who we really are. And I found myself living a very false version of me. I found myself and, and, and I had to really identify sort of the relationships that I had with understanding what I chose for people, like I said, to live within my life, but also my relationship to money. What did I think of money? Oh, money is the root of all evil. Why? You know, and it's so weird because when you start going back through all these patterns and doing that inner work, mm -hmm. it, bring, it brings us back to the garden. It brings us back to Genesis when God is looking for Adam and Eve who suddenly know they're naked, right? Quote, unquote. Mm -hmm. And God says, what does he ask them? Who told you? Mm -hmm. 
And I feel like we are still being asked this question when we're living life as though we've just realized we're naked and God is still asking us, who told you? That question be asked a lot of different ways. Like, you know, um, I remember when I, when I first got married, um, we had our, my family was visiting and, um, one of my sisters kind of pulled me aside and, and, and she was like, she's basically telling me like, I'm concerned about you because you, you seem very robotic and, and, you know, and it's like, you're saying like, you don't even realize it at the time. And, and that didn't even make sense to me. Um, it's like, you know, cause it's like, well, what, this is who I am, you know, mm-hmm. like I, I do what people tell me to do, you know, and I, I make people happy and it's like, yeah, the question like, who told you that's who you were? (laughs) Right. Right. And, and I'm telling you the moment that you, what it came down to me, which may be shocking for a lot of people, but it came down to literally death or life. Right. And, and I'll never forget the scripture in the text in um, it's in Leviticus and it's in Deuteronomy when God says, with heaven and earth as my witness, which I love. Because for me, when he says that, it's like heaven is living and Mm. so is the earth. You are connected to both. We miss that, right? Yeah. But he says, with heaven and earth as my witness, I I bring you life and death. He doesn't say or. He says and. Mm. Because he knows that life will feel like death sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Stinks, right? And I remember having this conversation with one of my good friends, and I said, It's either going to be that I choose to learn who the hell I am and live, mm-hmm. or I'm just going to end it because I'm sick of living sort of this pseudo version of life mm-hmm. where I'm just showing up for everyone else and I don't even know why. Yeah. And I was at the end, like I was just, and it was funny because. When people you would think would be like all depressed, maybe curled up in the fetal position. (laughs) My first emotion, because I'm a one on the Enneagram is anger. Mm. So I get angry, right? And so I was angry about the fact that I felt so stinking miserable. Mm. And I had to kick myself in the pants and say, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do? And I told her, like, if I choose death, you can't be upset because you have to know that I'm ending something that feels like crap. And so in that moment, she said, and it was a very pointed question, but she said, do you feel like you've shown up for everything that you were supposed to do? And I was like, damn it. No, (laughs) I haven't. And she said, well, do you want to figure out what that is? And I mm. said, yes. And so that was it. And I made that decision and I never looked back. Mm. Mm. Well, I know you, you've shared that story before. Um, and I don't know if you're willing to share it again, but just how you, like, there was so much crap in your life that you literally felt like you were going to die and, and you had to keep calling this helpline because that's the only way you could, you could <laughs> yeah. make it. Yes. So I was... Um, gosh, I was in my early twenties at that time, but I was an agoraphobe. So I couldn't leave my house cause I had so much anxiety. And I think that when I look back then, I, and I know that some people out there can resonate with this, but I think even as a child, I probably made an agreement with death because you watch life. You watch people that are supposedly in it for you and love you mm-hmm. and you that doesn't look like, you know, the love that we see on Disney, you know, or <laughs> read about in books. And it's like, yeah. no, 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 this is so stinking confusing. I don't get it. Yeah. So I remember even as a kid, I would, I was like an old person. I was eight living like an 80 year old. And if we were going to go on vacations, I'd pack a bag like with Maylocks and Tums. And because it was like, what, what, what are we doing here? But I had like stomach issues and I was, it was just from stress at eight because I was so worried about everyone else in my life and this doesn't look right and I don't feel safe. And it's not that my parents didn't love me. They did the best they could. And I know that we always say that, but 
my understanding, even at eight, was this is whack. <laughs> it shouldn't look like this and I don't feel okay yeah. and so the only way I knew how to help myself was self-medicate at the time so I would like pack my little bag of all this stuff and it's like okay I'm ready for the trip now I guess but I was so worried even then about like what if something happens to me and I would play these what if games and I think it finally all caught up to me in my early 20s like I had lived in constant fear mm. I hadn't even lived. And it makes me so stinking mad because when I look back, I think, what did I miss out on? Mm. Right? That's half of it. But the other half is, but if I hadn't gone through that, I wouldn't have the voice that I have now and the determination yeah. to bring everyone else the stinking freedom we all deserve. Yeah. Right? So anyway, so I'm in my early 20s and I'm so stinking scared. Can't leave my house. My poor kid, I think is five at the time. I can't even take him to school. Like it's a block away. But mm. if I leave my house, I think I'm going to pass out. I think I'm going to die if I see a person, God forbid. And so, so I would call the crisis hotline every night. And I would say my script, I think I'm going to die. My voice feels very constricted. My throat feels like it's closing and I'm terrified. You know, and so I'd go through this whole thing and they'd say, okay, breathe. And they'd take me through these, you know, breathing in and out. You're going to be okay, whatever. And I'd hang up and then probably go to sleep. I don't know. But one night after two years, one of the women who worked there finally said, do you really think you're going to die? And I was like, yeah. And she's like, well, then why don't you go effing die already? Because we're so sick of you. Like you call us every night, you say the same thing, we walk you through it and you're here again, like go the F away. And so, so finally I was like, well, I don't want to die. You know, after that it was, and why was she so rude? But I deserved it. <laughs> I totally deserved it. And it made me again, face the question, do you want to live? Mm -hmm. Do you want to live? And here we are, you know, so many years later, I was faced with that again. And I think of the beautiful story in the Gospel of John where Jesus is standing in front of the paralytic at the pool of Bethsaida, which I was always like, he's such a whiner. I mean, <laughs> everyone else gets in the pool. I've been here 38 years. What I love about the text is it will always mirror, right? It mirrors mm -hmm. the Older Testament. When people struggle with that, I don't understand the Old Testament. Well, you read it in the new one, get over it. And so I know I'm being so, so real then. <laughs> I'm, sorry. I'm sorry. You can edit whatever you want. Um, but anyway, in the Older Testament, and we have to remember that first century ears were all about the power of story. It wasn't like for us, like, oh, let's go to church and get a 20-minute sermon to make us feel good. It was all about living the story. Mm -hmm. And Judaism is a religion of not only hearing, but obeying what they heard, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So, so when a first century hearer is listening to a story, their ears are perked for the sort of the little nuggets of, why do I remember this? And so when we read about the paralytic, for 38 years, their minds were automatically transported back to the Israelites who camped out at Kadesh Barnea for 38 years. And the reason they were camped out mm. there is because they didn't know who the hell they were either. It yeah. was their identity. And God had to sift and go through all of that with them so that the they could enter the promised land. Well, at the, the pool at Bethesda, the paralytic, Jesus asked, what do you want me to do for you? I mean, isn't it obvious, Jesus? But, <laughs> but he makes him think about it. Yeah. Right? And I think that Jesus is still asking us that question today. What yeah. do you want me to do for you? Like, he makes us have to know ourselves. Yeah. It isn't about waving a magic wand. Yeah. Yeah. So, and sometimes we need, like... We need someone like I, I'm, I'm a super sensitive person and I'm, I'm, and I, I take things super personally, like way too often. And I'm, I'm starting to get better at that. But, but like ever, like sometimes you need somebody to just like tell you how it is yeah. and just like be straight with you. And, and at first you're like, why are you being mean to me? You know? <laughs> right. Exactly. 
exactly. There's yeah. we were watching. Um, my wife and I are we're rewatching through the Friends show, which we've mm -hmm. we've watched like probably ten times. Mm -hmm. And um, there's this episode where we just watched it last night. Actually, uh, Ross has um, he got divorced and he's um, he got evicted from his apartment. Like he has all these things going. He's he got like he's on sabbatical from his job, like a forced sabbatical. And, and so he's just like whining, whining, whining. And so he ends up starting to hang out with this girl. I don't know if you're familiar with the show, but Janice, he starts to hang out with Janice and Janice is like the most annoying person in the world. <laughs> and, but they're, they're hanging out and he's, you know, um, he's talking and, and he's, they, they go to the coffee shop and his order is wrong. And he's, He's like, this isn't what I ordered. Why can't anything go right for me? And, and she's, she's like, Ross, we have, okay, we got to talk. She's like, you are so annoying. And he's like, wait a second. I'm annoying you? And she's like, yes. And he's like, are you okay? And he's like, I am now. Like, oh, it just kind of like jolts, yeah, like jolts into reality. And like, you need somebody to like, just be like, just be hard nosed with you sometimes. Yeah. Because there's there, there's a time to be in that space, yeah. but then there's there's a time for somebody to tell you, okay, then what are you gonna do about it? Yeah. Well, one of the biggest stories that I read during this time of sort of coming out of my cocoon was um, the Grimm Brothers, uh, the Little Match Girl. I love the Grimm Brothers. I love the Grimm Brothers better than Disney, and that sounds weird. Like maybe we should give our kids the Grimm Brothers instead. <laughs> My wife says that all the time, actually. <laughs> I totally believe it. It's more real. But in, in this tale, the little match girl, she, and I'm paraphrasing, but she lives out in the woods. It's cold. She has a little pot-bellied stove, and she only has three matches. Mm -hmm. So she goes into town, and she begs people for a light, and she's always begging for a light, right? So she finally has to use all her matches, and then her grandma comes down from heaven, and takes the little match girl with her and she never has to beg again. And it sounds like, oh, what a cute story. But no, it's that you can't be the freaking little match girl begging people to give you a light. You have to ignite <laughs> your own light. And so yeah. when I read that, I was like, oh, I'm tired of being the match girl. And I just, you realize, right? You realize not only what you've been allowing in your life, but what you've been allowing in your inner world. Mm. And I remember sitting, talking with a friend and my sort of belief about myself, like you were saying earlier, we can get into this pit of unworthiness. And I remember talking with him and I was like, God, you're such a good friend to me because I'm such a burden and I'm such a pain because I'm always like in these really hard places. And he was like, you know what? If you want something different, you have to start doing stuff different. Yeah. Like get over it. And I remember thinking, Oh, <laughs> just like the woman, right? The crisis hotline. And it hit me because, and this is an exercise I do with people now. It's like, yeah. write out your story. Who are you? Are you the victim again? Like, can we mm. get over that? Because yeah. in order to become the hero of your journey, you have to be willing to give up being the victim. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's a, it's, it's a difficult balance sometimes. And I, I think, you know, you're talking about the Enneagram. I'm a, I'm a four. And so I'm, I'm very, I'm, I'm very emotional and I'm like more comfortable with those dark spaces than maybe I should be. But I, but I use dark spaces to, you know, dark emotional places to ignore me from the places that I actually should go to do my work. Um, but then you have to like, so you have to do that work. Like you have to like, you know, go deep into what's going on. Like, you know, confront the tapes that are going on inside you, the lies that you're believing. Um, but, but then you also have to get to this place where you're like, okay, like I'm, I'm going to do something about it. Like I'm going to, I'm going to live differently. Yeah. And that's not always easy. And I think no. that that's where for me, my work um, comes in and I'm so grateful for it because I mean, I have clients that are, that run the gamut, right? I have male clients who may be, um, have never really discovered that part of them that lets them be confident or, you know, they don't know how to function in 
other relationships because they've never had that softer side introduced to them of who they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have women who have been hiding themselves for so long in their identity that they've created a whole other life. And um, when you begin peeling away the layers and getting to introduce people to they are to who they are, I mean, the next question is, what are you going to do about it? Mm-hmm. And I have literally seen some of them, I mean, untether their wagons and create a whole other life because they realized they were never living. Yeah. And it's crazy. Yeah. What what have you found are you know because there there's times where we want, you know, we want to do something about it and and maybe maybe it's before we've actually done like the hard work that we need to do, but like what what are some of the ways that you you see people like they try to do something about it, but it's maybe they're just jumping to another to another, you know, false story. Like maybe they're just trying to like satisfy, you know, like a religious community. Like there's, there's these ways that people are trying to do something, but, but it's not actually like moving them forward. Yeah. I think that, and that's where for me, like paying attention to the patterns and wondering and asking yourself, what am I doing here? What am I getting out of it? Am I really serving from a sincere heart or am I serving to be seen? Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of that. And I think that it's also, I don't, I don't, I mean, I've moved a lot in the last year, right? I, a lot of places, but I think that we can't be afraid of failure. So mm-hmm. if we're moving to different places or different places to serve or whatever it is, um, with the intention of discovery, that's one thing. Yeah. If we're yeah. doing it because it makes us feel good, then we have to ask ourselves, what are we feeding here? Yeah. And if we, if we discover that it's actually something healthy that we're feeding, great, but it's that honesty. And that is what's really hard sometimes to do alone. Yeah. You know? yeah. It, it's, that's why it's important to have an objective person who can be a soundboard, who can listen to you and then say, I'm wondering if you've thought about this because you know, that I have a, a person who is um, an amazing um, coach in his own right. And he gives so much of himself to people. Mm-hmm. He gives like his, he would never, he doesn't even wear a watch in his time with people because he wants them to know they're that important. Yeah. And yet what's interesting is he doesn't give himself that time. Yeah when he tries to meditate or when he tries to do his journaling, he can't even last for five minutes because he thinks that there's something more important he should be doing. Mm. Well, you're loving other people more than you love yourself. So are you really loving them from a sincere place? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, um, you know, that's where so much of this comes from. And And I think, you know, when, when people start to do, you know, the work that they need to do, to you know figure out who they are and and to heal there there's kind of this um there's a stigma a little bit you know from people around them maybe it's people wanting them you know they feel threatened themselves you know because they're challenging the status quo but there's a stigma of like oh you're just being selfish you know or you just like what about other people and it's like well no this is this is for other people because i'm not even i'm not offering to them anything right now anyway no, I mean, I would tell people, you want me functioning on all cylinders and a nice person? Let yeah. me in your work. Otherwise, <laughs> you get the horrible person that you really don't want to be around. I mean, <laughs> and it's true. I yeah. mean, we, it's the whole oxygen mask that we always hear about the airplane thing, you know, put it on you before you give it to someone else. Yeah. But that really is true. I mean, yeah. we, and, and it's knowing who we are because otherwise people become, we become effectively, and this is what I, I've said before you become a freaking prostitute mm. and you're willing to give whatever the hell that it takes to get love. Mm. Yeah. And you're not even offering it for a high enough price. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> so no. And, and, and it's like, you have to decide, right. To hang up that being a prostitute and, and sort of whoring yourself out yeah. because you valued yourself enough. And that's why, you know, the, the, um, beautiful story in Hosea, that's what it's all about. Yeah. 
you know, I'll take you anyway, no matter what. Can you love yourself enough to take yourself anyway? Mm. Yeah, that was um, when we, my wife and I were having, you know, like our real tough years in our marriage. Um, You know, it wasn't, um, it wasn't because I wasn't trying, you know, it wasn't because we weren't trying. It wasn't because I didn't want to make it better. It's because like, I didn't have anything to offer and I didn't, I didn't like myself and still like, you know, that's, you know, we, we, it, there's things that we struggle with all our lives that we have to like, you know, be disciplined about. And if I'm, if I'm having a day where I just, where I haven't taken care of myself and I'm not liking myself, mm. I'm an asshole, you know, like. <laughs> totally. I get it. I mean, and it's interesting because there's a beautiful text in the Talmud, which is the ethics of our fathers the Perkeavot in Hebrew, but it says, find that place to be a man, go there, and there's strive to be a man. Mm. I love, I love the Talmud. Um, and really what it's saying to us is man or woman, find your place and in that place become everything you were ever supposed to be. Mm. Because in that space is where not only can you give to yourself, but you're going to be able to give back to the world. Yeah. And two things that I always tell my clients is we have to live life with expectancy, not expectation. They're two different things, but also celebration. We have to remember those little moments and those milestones where we are showing up fully for ourselves first and then to give back. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, a lot of your work and and a lot of how you describe like what you what you're seeking for yourself and for others is is harmony mm-hmm. um so how how would you describe that like what what does that mean for you and for those that you're you're helping? Well, I have never liked the word balance right because balance intimates scales, mm-hmm. and we have scales where I've got to put a rock over here and then a rock over there and It means that if things are out of balance, then I'm off kilter, right? Because Mm -hmm. I haven't fully balanced. And we've taught people that, like the wheel of life. Where is it that you're not giving so that the wheel can... It's just like, what are we talking about? Harmony (laughs) makes so much more sense, especially if anyone knows music, because it takes multiple chords to create this beautiful Mm. sound, right? And so in life, we have a lot of crap. So how do we make it all fire and when it's supposed to, so that we are delivering the most beautiful version of ourselves through the sound of our voice, through how we hear others, and and just through being present? What does that look like? Yeah. So it's not about, and you know, we'll say like, well, if you cut away this, then you got to cut away that. How can I make it all work if it's bringing me joy, you know? And that's what, when we're going to do this, and I call myself the habitual harmonist, some people would probably just call the middle part of habitual, right? But, <laughs> but it's about taking sort of this inventory of life. What are you trying to squeeze into your days anyway? Yeah. And let's look and see if, if those things really bring you joy. Are you living into the highest and, and best version of yourselves? And I'll tell you, even with people in their work, what I say is find the thing that is the easiest for you. It comes so naturally. It's like doing it in your sleep. And that is what you should be doing for the world. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I know. I'm sure other people struggle with this too, but um, because, you know, I am a very emotional person. Like I, like one of my traps is that I get caught up in like, well, do I feel harmonious? You know, like, like I'm trying to like find this like inner place where like I'm on this, the, the right plane or whatever. But then when, when, when I do that, then I'm like, you know, I'm like, don't bother me. I'm trying to be harmonious. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, um, and, but there's, you know, that I, I, something that's becoming more prominent and, and you mentioned it, it's just being present to where we are and, and what that means. And it's like, you know, I had a spiritual director that um, he said, you know, when you have people in your life, like your, it's like your redemption circle becomes bigger. 
like like they're part they're part of the circle of your story and so it's like you know instead of me thinking oh well it's how i feel it's like well no like my my wife's a part of it like my son is a part of it like it's not that like i i think what i'm what i'm trying to say is that you know we we want to offer something to others like we want to be who we are but that doesn't mean like we're just like we're going to get to this perfect place and then we go to people it's like we have to let them be part of it too well and it's knowing that all of it belongs right every yeah, yeah. bit of the story every person all of it belongs it's a matter of how we're going to receive it in that present moment yeah and so often when people i'm trying to teach them to meditate they'll think this is so rigid my mind is pinging everywhere and i can't control my thoughts and actually, when you get to that beautiful space of meditation, it opens up to this infinite possibility when you can hang out there and figure it out. Yeah. It's actually yeah. teaching you to even have more creativity, more, more of a sort of a fervor for life and for those around you. Yeah. And it's understanding um, how to give yourself permission to get into that space so that you are giving yourself that time to sort of shut off things and just be. And it's interesting. One of the things that I've adopted is in studying the names of God, the, the, the sound that is most prevalent within all the names of God is ah. Hmm. What's interesting is when you think of that, there's it's ah, like, Ooh, I figured something out. Ah is also something that when you're eating a great meal, it's in pleasure. Mm. And, and so in the mornings, I will do a chanting mantra with that sound mm. in addition to visualizing and speaking out what I'm going to co-create with God for mm. the day. And then at the end of the day, when the sun is setting and all creation is, is going to sleep too, then I do my, my version of meditation where I have gratitude for everything I experienced and for all the things that I am creating as though they already are. Mm -hmm. Because I think that's what we saw God do in, in the story of creation. And I think that yeah. too often we just like get up and start like checking off our to-do list. There's no intention and purpose with what we're bringing into the day to help us experience those present moment opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. And I know um, this is something that, Baxter Kruger talks a lot about it's just like that there's there's beauty and like there's beauty in every moment there's beauty in the everyday things that we're a part of and and sometimes you know I, I know in a lot of people's church experience that so, sort of gets undercut because it's kind of like well you know everything you do with and for and at the church is like this holy thing and then everything else like you know whatever just but, 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 you know, do the church stuff. And it's like, well, no, like it's all, it's all sacred. It's all beautiful. Like there's, there's energy with what we get to participate in every day. Yeah. I think that it's important that we learn to live like the Israelites did post 70 when the temple fell. And mm, that is yeah. learn to find your freaking temple in the everyday, mm. you know, become the priest of your home. And yeah. quit trying to put so much pressure on freaking pastors who are just men <laughs> to give yeah. you a prescription for joy in living. Yeah. You're welcome, pastors. Right? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's just crazy. I, yeah, I know because that that system doesn't help any side of it. You know, it's it's just it it's terrible for both sides. Yes, yes, yeah. I mean, it becomes a whole thing, and we have to learn to go from living. Um, sort of the supply and demand version of life and become mm. the demand side. Yeah. I'm asking everybody what they're going to supply us. What's become the demand. Mm. Something um, you're working on right now is, uh, and you've, you started with Alexander Shia is um, the Shia Sophia publishing house, which as I mentioned, I'm very thankful for. And, and um, it's just been a great experience to, you you guys are are so invested in it you're so invested in the people and and the integrity of the process and it's just been very life-giving um where did that where did that come from and and um what, what are you guys hoping to do out of that 
Well, that begs for the question of how I met Alexander. Mm. Um, and Alexander was somebody that I always say I would have coffee with um, for a decade before he knew me because I would read <laughs> his work. Um, yeah. and, and it was so, so beautiful. And so one day I was cleaning my house and I remember, you know, just scrolling Facebook in between vacuuming and um, he had commented on a friend of mine's post and it was like, how in the hell, how do they know Alexander Shia <laughs> and he is not my friend. And so um, of course, cause that was so me centered. And so I friended him and he friended, he friended me back pretty quickly. And then I was just like, Oh, my God. <laughs> right. I was so like, this is incredible because I've known him through his work. So then I start messaging with him and he knows this story, which is so funny. And so then I said, so I said, Alexander, it would be my honor to host you on my podcast. Would you like to do that? Thinking he's going to say, no, I'm too busy. He's world renowned. And so he says, sure, send me some dates. And then I'm like, what the F? I don't have a podcast. I didn't have a podcast at all. And so I'm like, oh my God. Well, I better give myself like six weeks because I've got to build a podcast now. I got to figure out how to host one. What do I need to do? But I wasn't going to give up the chance to have this interview with Alexander. Yeah. So, so I'm like, oh, okay, here are the dates. And then I'm like, and so I end up creating one, right? <laughs> Having this conversation with Alexander, which if you go back and listen and it's still out there, it's hilarious because most of the time I'm just silent and he knows like she's just in awe. And so it's just like no conversation because I'm just freaking out. And like the like the the Chris Farley show on SNL, like re remember this time? That that was awesome. <laughs> And as we look back, we laugh so much because it turned out to be really comprehensive because he went through yeah. all of heart and mind. It was like a two hour podcast. <laughs> but so we ended up becoming such good friends and we would literally dream together and he would come visit and he would stay with me. And I would sit there and say, look, your work has to be known. It has to be more known. And we have to figure out how to also invite others who write in the vein of transformation. How are we going to do this? And we'd sit there and, and like almost like trying to solve a Rubik's cube and wonder and dream. And if you know us together, like I'm the doer and Alexander is like the lover, like he's so kind. And yeah. I always say he is the greatest love of my life. And, and yeah, I mean, he has taught me so much about it. And yet, I think without the two of us together, we wouldn't have the harmony, right? Mm -hmm. Because I'm sort of like the pushy friend. And so, <laughs> so, so I said, we're going to do it. And I created the logo, mm -hmm. just like the podcast, right? What are we yeah. going to do? What are we gonna do? <laughs> but that's me. Uh, if you give me a vision, I'll go there with you. And I am a doer and I'll make it happen. And mm -hmm. Alexander is like this beautiful, like, like, what is it? The guy in them. In Lord of the Rings, I always call him Gandalf. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Like the guy that's just like the long white beard. Like that's Alexander. He's oh yeah, that's Gandalf. Yeah. Wisdom incarnate. And so yeah. I'll just say like, what do you want to do? And then let's just make it happen. <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway, so that's how we started. And so we are gratefully an imprint of choir who we love. We love Rafa and all of the folks there, all the mm. authors. And so we're, yeah, like a fine wine label of choir is how I like <laughs> to say it. <laughs> yeah. And it's like I said, I'm, I'm very thankful for it. I think there's a lot of, a lot of really life-giving stuff that's going to come out of that dream. And yeah. So um, before we kind of conclude here, um, you know, this, this podcast is hopefully going to help people kind of um, give them some tools or, some stories about what it, what it could be like to experience wholeness or harmony or whatever word you would want to use for that. Um, what, what's helping you with that? Like these days, like what's helping you live in harmony and wholeness? You know, it's constantly coming back and asking myself why I experienced that. I, I always say I love experiential alchemy and alchemy for true alchemists is not about turning lead into gold, but it's about turning the turning the world into words. I like mm -hmm. to say. 
Mm. Right. And, and, and those words are what give us life. And so it's, 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 it's the alchemy of understanding ourselves. Mm-hmm. So often if I have an experience, like the other night I was writing an email to a friend and suddenly I had like this emotional response that had to come out. I didn't feel like, oh, I'm sad. I need to cry. It just happened like an mm-hmm. avalanche that you don't see coming. And it was quite violent. The, the crying was just like, there was pain. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting. So now I've learned instead of going, what the F was that? I say, what is my body's wisdom trying mm. to share with me? Yeah. Where is it quaking so much inside that I have not addressed? What do I need to love my body and my mind and my heart through in this moment? Mm-hmm. And so then I'll write about it, you know, or I'll call someone I trust and say, this is what happened. This is what I was doing. And quite honestly, Look, see, it's like, ooh, I feel that. And and that's it, right? So it's learning to be aware, like I felt that in my, my body saying, hello, we're getting touched by that. And so it's learning to give, we listen to other people. We don't listen to ourselves mm-hmm. with that same beautiful attention. And yeah. so it's in, in understanding that even now as my body prodded me and went, okay, tell them about this, because this is what really moved us. I have a a wonderful friend who's been my friend for a long time. And as I shared with him my story, not that long ago, he said, there's a song that was written for you. And I said, what is it? And he's kind of this, he's country more than anything, but he's gritty. And Mm -hmm. so, so the song was called The Bird and the Rifle. And it's by Laurie McKenna. And it's a beautiful song. And it talks about it starts like there's a bird in the kitchen making coffee and you're like, what? So you have to really have a visual and metaphor thing and the rifles smoking cigarettes on the porch. But anyway, the whole, it's very country, right? So, (laughs) (laughs) So the whole point is the little bird always looks out the window and sees like this expansive sky and dreams about flying. Mm -hmm. And one day when the rifles had too much to drink, he hears the window shut. And the little bird never came back. And I was like, I mean, that was my freaking story. Like when we live within and it's like we look outside and we dream and we wonder and we want, but we within here's something that I always tell my clients. We have our intuitiveness within us. We Mm -hmm. want to silence it. When our intuition says, hey, Ben, wouldn't it be freaking awesome to write a book about transformation. It's gonna be fiction. It's gonna be awesome. You have five seconds to decide to take action because within five seconds, your reptilian brain, fight, flight, or freeze, says, hold on. No, you can't. Yeah. Self-preservation and all that. Don't do it. So we literally, every time our intuition, who knows us, says, we should do this. You have five seconds. So I remember my five seconds and I flew out that damn window and I never looked back. And and now I get to open windows for everybody else. Mm, mm. That's so powerful. Like when you talked about just the power of words, um, I was listening to um, Brene Brown. And for those who don't know, she's, she writes and talks about shame, but she, she's also researched it for decades. And, and she talked about how, you know, so often we're, we're afraid to put words to what's going on inside of us because we think it's going to make it more powerful. And she's like, she's like decades worth of research has showed me it makes it less powerful. It makes you more powerful. And not only that, I'll take it a step further. Something that I also do with my folks is learning to expand their vocabulary of emotion. Mm. Because if we don't, then we just say, I'm sad. No, you're really yeah. sad. Yeah. Tell me more, you know, let's get this offering of words and let's really put something to it. And if you can't do that, let's look at color and then let's figure it out. But it's learning to express ourselves and we walk around almost like cavemen mm. <laughs> with yeah. <this> understanding. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm. That's awesome. Well, you, you mentioned um, before we started recording that you were, um, you have a class coming up. What, um, you know, tell us about that and anything else that, 
that people would, would need to know that you're working on and, and where they can well, find Well, I'm you? working on my book, but I keep letting everybody go ahead of me. <laughs> so <laughs> that will be out and, and it will be called Limitless Love. Mm. Um, and so hopefully in the spring, I don't know at this point, because we keep finding great people like you that we want to <laughs> Um, so we can look forward to that, but I always am doing obviously one-on-ones with people in my transformational work, but I have a course that's launching in January. It's January 3rd. It's a Sunday night. It's at five o'clock. Um, I'll have to think of the time zone. Um, <laughs> so it's five o'clock central. So we'll say four mountain, three mm-hmm. Pacific. you know how to, I don't do that well. That's why I'm yeah. like, I've learned to say snowy house time and being in Colorado <laughs> because I'm like, I always yeah. have appointments. It's so bad. People are so sweet to me because they know like she's always everywhere. So anyway, it's five central. That gives you a good, a good barometer, but it's yeah. going to be for six weeks and it's called untethering your soul. And mm-hmm. what it's about is understanding how to untether ourselves from that inner critic in our head who we have to love on, but who can't shut up. <laughs> and so we're going to learn what it's talking about, why it brings up what it does. Yeah. And we're going to learn how to sort of quell it and keep, keep it under wraps so that mm. we can live the life that was always destined for us instead of living the life that this bossy person in our head tells us we have to live. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Well, and, and you can also find Nora at, at norasofia.com. Mm-hmm. and her sites there and and um nora just it's always a joy to get in touch with you and chat thank you so much for being on the podcast it was my pleasure and i am so stinking proud of you i'm proud of your work mm-hmm. i'm proud of this podcast and you know it's something that people don't realize or live into and you are doing it is mm-hmm. we all have something to say and it matters so use your voice Use your stinking voice and don't let anyone ever tell you to play smaller than you were created to be. Amen. Thank you.